On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Welcome to all of you. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of the Current Issues and the Constitution show. And today on the line with me is Professor Wilson. How are you, Woody? Very good, Felice. Thank you. Very good. Okay. Well, um, as I shared with you before we went live, we already have a question uh, waiting for us when we logged into our system, which I absolutely love when that happens. And so uh, for those of you that are listening in the archives, if you go to our show page at currentissuesandtheconstitution.com, there is a question and answer box. Uh, just make sure it doesn't say show is over or we won't get the question. Make sure that there's a countdown timer that tells you uh, when the next show is and how many hours. So uh, just be sure that that's in place. Uh, and then go ahead and post your question, and we will get it um, like we did today. So I want to thank uh, the listener for giving us this question. So. Uh, here we go. So this listener got an email from the AFA, and that's the American Family Association today. And she was wondering um, if you would be able to comment on it. And so she gave us a link uh, to this, uh, you know, um, the site. And what it says is Obama administration moves to silence the AFA on elections. And it's proposing regulations. Uh, to nonprofits and um, that sort of thing, conservative groups like the AFA, the Family Research Council, Concerned Women for America, and the Tea Party, uh, not to be able to distribute voters' guides, promote voter registration, report re- voting, so forth, so on, because they are nonprofits. So um, they wanted to to ask you about that, Woody. Well, it's a, it's clearly a another dirty trick from the federal bureaucracies to try to help Democrats keep their seats in the next election in November by silencing or making it very, very difficult for several organizations, uh, conservative organizations, that are going to come out storming against the Affordable Care Act and other things, there are plenty of other things, uh, scandals in the Obama administration. So this this whole thing uh, to restrict voters' guides that these groups will put out, get out the vote campaigns, legislative scorecards where we rank uh, members of Congress, and even it, according to this link, they want to restrict voter registration activities by nonprofit groups. That means that we cannot go out and persuade people, persuade our neighbors to 
register and to vote and so on and so forth. And this is incredible. It's um, like Thomas Jefferson said, and I, you've heard this quote before, it is the natural tendency for government to gain ground and liberty to yield. So this is another federal agency out of the few thousand that exist that is growing its power. And in this case, the thing that is really alarming is the IRS basically has established itself with that thing against the Tea Party, uh, that whole scandal uh, that's still ongoing and will come up in the next election. But they have established themselves as one of the armies that supports the liberal agenda. This is a federal government agencies that you and I pay for. Say they joined the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Energy, the Department of um, the HHS Department, Health and Human Services, uh, the National Security, the Department of Justice. All of these groups have been very busy trying to further that liberal agenda. And the problem here is that those agencies are created to protect our rights. That's what they're for. Their job is to serve us, not control us, not restrict us, not limit us, not to take away our liberties like the Affordable Care Act does, forcing people to buy health insurance and taking away the health insurance that they've always had and loved and making it impossible for them to keep their doctors and all those other kinds of things. Now we're seeing it from the IRS and they are basically uh, laying the groundwork uh, for Democratic candidates to keep their seats and keep the Affordable Care Act and all of the other things that are part of the liberal agenda. So this is alarming. This is not just infuriating. This is alarming. This is government out of control. Now, in, and even if even if Republicans win the Senate and keep the House, and even if Republicans win the White House in 2016, you've got some very liberal government agencies that are going to continue to plot away at establishing that liberal agenda. So this, is, um, this, this thing is really getting out of control. The American people have got to wake up and take a stand. Another Jefferson quote, the tree of liberty must from time to time be refreshed with the blood of tyrants and of, of patriots. And Jefferson really thought that there would be a revolution every 20 years because he knew what governments did, what governments do. And they can't help it. It's just like a it's all, let's picture the government as some kind of an organism with four legs and a tail and a whole bunch of instincts. And one of those instincts is to grow and to grow power. So when Jefferson says that uh, liberty has to be refreshed with the blood of tyrants. Well, we take that to mean uh, reform or elections, voting campaigns, getting organized in, in things like the AFA, the Tea Party, uh, many other organizations, and opposing this. We cannot let this go on because the end of that is the end of liberty, period. All power wow. in the government. So that's my response to the question. Okay. What do you very think? Very good. No, I agree, and it, to me it's very appalling, and I think what it's going to do is cause a lot of grassroots movements to um, begin. I know 
uh, there were some restrictions even with with uh, our church, and they weren't allowed to say certain things from the pulpit. And uh, so people took it upon themselves to go and and put flyers um, on the cars. And, uh, you know, they were warned not to, so then they just put it in the back of the church. I mean, it's not – it's just like – it reminds me a little bit, Woody, of the Boston Tea Party, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Things are going to come to a head, and, you know, proverbial tea getting thrown into the the, – you know, water, so to speak, it speak, you know, people are just not going to let this this happen, especially if they're informed, and that's why I'm really happy that we have this opportunity to inform uh, students and their parents, and um, I, we really appreciate the listener bringing that to our attention uh, today. So thank you for well, that. I, I think what we need, uh, Felice, and are, are, Felice, are you young enough to remember the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s? I do, but I was okay. I was um it it was more so in in history because I was born in 56. I'm dating myself here, but yeah, okay, yeah. but I do. Yeah. And I think well, I do. You, do you remember time. how um, civil rights activists would go to jail on purpose? That is they would break the law on purpose. They would do sit-ins, right. for example. <clears throat> they would go into a segregated restaurant and force the police or Rosa Parks sits in a white section Mm -hmm. of a bus and is taken off and uh, put in jail. That's what we need. Uh, If if somebody in government and one agency or or whatever tells a pastor of a church or a priest that they cannot say certain things, we need pastors and priests that will say them anyway and dare the government to put them in jail. That kind of thing will hit the media People will say, what? They're putting pastors and priests in jail for what? For freedom of speech? What about separation of church and state? It's none of the government's business what is said and done in any church in this land, unless they are some radical, crazy psycho group uh, that is into suicide or human sacrifice. Uh, okay, other than something wild like that, right. government, keep right. your hands off. It's separation of church and state. That is to- completely anti-constitutional to, tell, to say that things cannot be said in church. That's private. Government, keep out. So, uh, so we need people that will defy the law. Um, I believe we called it civil disobedience, where we oppose and we refuse to obey laws that are unjust, laws that are unconstitutional. I think that's what we need. Then these issues will come out to the public, and the public will say, oh, no, we can't, First Amendment, Constitution, America. Uh, we need to wake them up, basically. So mm-hmm. advocate that in your churches and um, demand that people take a stand. The protection of the church right. itself. Well, I know that there have been some, um, you know, priests that have refused communion to high-ranking people in the in the government um, who were clearly uh, anti-abortion. And so, you know, can you imagine the embarrassment for you know the senator or the congressman who walked up and was refused communion in front of a very packed congregation. Because um, they and, opposed and, abortion? 
Right, because to, to be Catholic and to take communion, you are saying amen that you agree with the teachings of the church. So they were making that, he was making that statement, and of course he was bashed by a lot of people for that, um, but he really had the right to do that. So, you know, it was it was interesting because, you know, when they have tried in even in, you know, in their own area of, of jurisdiction where it would hold up, you know, they've, they've really met with a lot of opposition. So, but I really agree, though, Woody, that they really, um, you know, need to look at what we are allowed and not allowed to do and the IRS um you know is some of these agencies that we consider uh non touchable, you know what I mean? Untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, are now making us look at them again, you know, because the IRS was under scrutiny not that long ago for some misappropriation of funds or creating silly videos and and that kind of thing. Also hassling some private um you know, non-profit libertarian Tea Party uh, groups and right. that that kind of thing. So, you know, we are keeping an eye on them a little bit more because of these things coming out. And even the secular media, can they can try to squelch as much as they can, but some stories just can't, um, can't be squelched. Well, I am sure you have um, a list of things you want to cover today, so why don't you get started, and then I also um, will be asking you questions as they come in. Okay, let's do that. Um, <clears throat> and before we do just one statement, I, I think that we all agree that freedom is very, very precious. I, I mean, it's yes, it not is. everything, but if you take the three top values, if you make a list in a group, brainstorm a list of values, and then you prioritize them, freedom is always going to be at near at or near the top. Maybe national security is going to be higher or faith is going to be higher, but freedom is going to be right up there. We And freedom is something that you have to fight for. It's something you have to protect um, at the polls or by being involved in groups that, that prize freedom because the people that are advancing this liberal agenda – certainly do not, and we've seen time and time again, and the excellent question from the student and, and uh, regarding the latest from the IRS is just another example of that potential. Freedom, freedom, it's um, so important, so important. It's even better than maple syrup. Okay, <laughs> now let's get into Iraq. We have a very, very potentially ugly situation developing over there. As you may know, um, President Bush, um, as Commander-in-Chief, in ordered the invasion of Iraq. Uh, Congress supported him, uh, including Hillary Clinton, uh, much to, <laughs> to her dismay now. Uh, she, uh, she's going to run for president. She's going to have to answer why she supported President Bush in invading Iraq, since Iraq became so unpopular as a result of the media barrage that followed. Nonetheless, um, Obama, when he became president, ordered U.S. troops to begin pulling out of Iraq in 2011, and they did. Today we have a very small token force, uh, maybe 13,000 soldiers um, in all in Iraq, and they will be leaving soon. Well, as a result of that, Iraq is now on the verge of a civil war. 
Now, I just think back to the American Civil War, how horrible, awful, and bloody that was. It basically destroys the country. It really does. Tens of hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children will die in Iraq because we pulled out. If you're going to go into a country and if you're going to change the government, what we call nation building, then you've got to stay there long enough to give them the chance to develop and evolve that democracy and that freedom and make it permanent, make it last. We didn't do that. We're pulling out. We see in, a, in Iraq a resurgence of al-Qaeda, although the media is calling, people in the media are calling it a resurgence. Um, I don't call it a resurgence at all. Al-Qaeda has always been there since long before 9-11. They control one of the major cities now, Fallujah, uh, that we fought for, and a, a, few, a couple of thousand of Americans died taking that city a long time ago. And it wasn't so long ago that President Obama told us that al-Qaeda was on the run. They're not on the run. They never were on the run. So I don't know if the president is simply incompetent or he was uh, just telling another lie. And we excuse that and say, well, that's political. I don't excuse it. Be honest with the American people. Be honest. I think of people like George Washington, for example. I think of, of people like John Quincy Adams. Be honest and true, not only to your God, but to the people. So al-Qaeda is not on the run. We can see that in Iraq. As a result of our um, dressing down, Iran has replaced us as the most influential power in that region. Now, Iran is responsible for the death of lots of Americans, lots of American soldiers. Iran funds Hezbollah. Partially funds Hamas, terrorist organizations, has propped up Syria. Now they are behind the al-Qaeda movement that is, could potentially result in a civil war in Iraq. And we are over there making nice with Iran, asking them, please don't build nuclear weapons. We'll lift the sanctions if you promise you won't build uh, nuclear weapons. And, of course, they're going to build them anyway. Totally ridiculous. Uh, this is a very, very dangerous situation. So according to informed observers, people that have been there, Iraq has become a cruel and brutal jungle, the worst regional nightmare that human beings can imagine, civil war. And then you have the, uh, the potential for that to spread to Syria. We're seeing the potential already. They're still fighting in Syria. It's been over two years now. We did nothing with potential in, in Jordan. We're seeing the signs in Jordan, Egypt, and Libya. Um, Al-Qaeda, sponsored by Iran, fostering instability and revolution and possibly even civil war. Now, what does that have to do with America, you say? In fact, some people would say, okay, fine, let them kill, kill each other. Who cares? Let's just bring everything home and, and um, take care of our own problems here in America. Well, the thing is that we've been a world leader for a very long time. At least since World War II, we have been the world leader. And we are responsible for a lot of the kinds of things that are happening in the Middle East. We're responsible. 
It, they, these, these things emerged under our leadership. And we can't just abdicate that responsibility and say, well, yeah, go ahead and kill each other. It's not our problem. It is our problem. And then secondly, you've got the, the, the petroleum. Uh, the Persian Gulf supplies a tremendous amount of petroleum to nations throughout the world. And if widespread war erupts and that, that very important energy source is gone, then economies are going to fall throughout the world because they simply won't have the energy to run their systems anymore. And then the, the last thing, and perhaps the most important thing, is, as I said, a lot of innocents, a lot of innocent people are going to die, are already dying in Iraq and other places. As a Christian nation, and we are a Christian nation, I think we are our brother's keeper. And all humans are our brothers. Remember when I went to Vietnam, I wore on my beret a crest that said, Dio Presso Liber, Latin, meaning liberator of the oppressed. And I was so proud of that. We were going to Vietnam to liberate people who were being oppressed by a communist government from the north. Should we not do the same thing in the Middle East? Should we not go in with every diplomatic tool, every economic tool, threat of military force, should we not go into Iraq and other places and say, hey, you guys sit down, let's talk, and let's put an end to this, let's work it out. Can we not go in and use our influence to do that? Why are we not doing that? So keep your eyes on Iraq in the news. Uh, potentially disastrous situation is developing. Okay, moving along, uh, last week we talked about possible impeachment charges. We looked at Article 2, Section 3, and the last line which says, He, referring to the President, shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. I love the way they say this. He shall take care. In other words, what does that mean, he shall take care? That means he will be very focused, very certain. He shall take care that the laws passed by Congress and the Constitution itself, the Constitution is a body of law. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Faithfully. Now, what does that mean? How would you interpret that? Could it could it mean with an eye to the heavens, faithfully? Faithfully could also mean dependably, responsibly, with certainty. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And in many cases, he has done just the opposite. He suspended the Affordable Care Act employer and union mandate. They don't have to participate. He suspended Congress's mandate. They don't have to participate. He ordered insurance companies to reinstate policies without law, the law requirements of such things as maternity care, contraception, abortion, maternity benefits. And you and I, of course, don't disagree with that. Um, it should be taken out of the law, period. And maybe it will by the Supreme Court in the Little Sisters case, which I'm sure you've read about in the past week. All right? 
we also have seen bureaucratic malfeasance from the Department of Justice, National Security uh, Agency, the IRS, and I have no doubt that the President is fully informed, has always been fully informed of the, these kinds of things that these agencies are pulling off. He should be. He is the chief executive. You know, Harry Truman, when he was president after World War II, he had a plaque on his desk. Do you know what it said? I'll bet some of you do. It said, the buck stops here. In other words, it's my responsibility. And yes, Mr. President, what happens in those bureaucracies, what happens in that executive branch is your responsibility. Moving on, he ordered, ordered, now this is incredible, ordered Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency not to enforce immigration law. Just don't enforce the law. He ordered the Justice Department to minimize prosecution of federal drug law. And marijuana and all the other narcotics out there are illegal under federal law. And when Colorado passed their marijuana legalization law, not a peep out of the president. Not, didn't say a word, even though it conflicts with, with federal narcotics law. Under the Constitution, that law, because narcotics, that's an interstate commerce matter. And Congress has the power to supervise that. And states do not. That law is automatically unconstitutional. But this presidential administration will do nothing about it. We'll wait and see if um, concerned citizens of Colorado are going to bring forth a lawsuit that could end up in the Supreme Court. Now, to the recess appointments. Uh, he made three recess appointments, uh, three very liberal pro-union um, activists, uh, and appointed them to the National Labor Relations Board. He didn't appoint them. He nominated them. And we do have this system called checks and balances that um, allows the Senate to approve those appointments. Well, Republicans blocked it. Do you know how Republicans are in the minority? How would they block a piece of legislation? Why couldn't they just vote and have 55 Democrats vote to approve uh, the three nominees? How, do, how does a minority block a, a piece of legislation or a vote on a piece of legislation. Do you know what it's called? It's called the filibuster. That means that they don't let the debate on the piece of legislation, they don't let it end. They just start talking and talking and talking day after day after day after day until finally the majority just gives up. And so that's what Republicans did. They began to filibuster the nomination and the potential appointment of these three union-oriented nominees. Now, the only way that you can stop the filibuster is what's called the cloture rule. If you have a pencil, C-L-O-T-U-R-E, cloture rule also known as Rule 22. It's the only way... Uh, formally, that Senate rules provide for uh, for breaking a filibuster, um, and what all they have to do is call for 60 votes, call for a vote, call for a cloture vote. 
And if they can get 60 votes, then they that ends the debate, that ends the filibuster, and now the Senate can vote on it. All right, so that rule has been in place since, um, oh, 1918, 1919, when Woodrow Wilson was president. In fact, the first time it was ever used was to stop debate on the Versailles Treaty uh, that ended uh, World War I. A treaty, by the way, that you might remember from our history class that was uh, turned down by the Senate. We didn't join the League of Nations. But nonetheless, um, they, they established it back then at two-thirds. It took a two-thirds majority vote. In 1975, they decided that's too much of a supermajority, and they lowered it to 60. So um, it remained at 60 votes. All right, so you couldn't get the 60 votes because there's only 55 Democrats, and every single Republican um, was just up in arms. Uh, a lot of presidents, I remember when um, President Nixon tried to appoint somebody to the Supreme Court who was described as a businessman who had no degree in law, no background in law whatsoever, but he did have ties to the mafia. And Nixon tried to put this guy on the Supreme Court. Well, these three uh, union-oriented nominees are not quite that extreme, but still, don't we want objective and non-political people to serve on boards like that? I mean, the National Labor Relations Board makes a lot of decisions, 100 decisions a year, and they're all going to be pro-union, and many of them are going to do great harm to the businesses that have been unionized. So Republicans were trying to block it, and they were blocking it quite successfully. So... On January 4th, 2012, uh, a little over a year ago, the president de simply declared that the Senate was in recess, shocked everybody, and appointed three new members to fill the vacant seats without Senate approval. Now, he does have the power to make recess approvements. Let's take a look at that. Turn your Constitution to Article 2, Section 2. Yes, at the very end, uh, the very last clause... Article 2, Section 2, last clause. Are you there? The President shall have power to fill up all vacancies that may happen during the recess of the Senate by granting commissions which shall expire at the end of their next session. So these three people should already be off, off since they were appointed in, on January the 4th, 2012. They should already be gone. And I haven't seen anything in the news to that effect. All right, so he can make recess appointments, but can he declare that the Senate is in recess? Can he adjourn the United States Congress? Absolutely not. That was one of the detestable things that the British did uh, back in the colonial days. If they didn't like something that was happening in the House of Burgesses or any state colonial or state legislature, they would simply adjourn them and send them home. Uh, we made sure that that would not be done, but this president did it. Now, let's um, take a look at the adjournment authority in the Constitution. If you would turn to Article 1, Section 5, Clause 4. Article 1, that's the legislative branch, Section 5, Clause 4. Neither house 
during the session of Congress, shall without the consent of the other adjourn for more than three days, nor to any other place than that in which the two houses shall be sitting. All right, so um, adjournment here is clearly, although not directly, but clearly given to Congress. Congress can declare adjournment. Article 2, the executive branch, does not give the president the power to adjourn the Congress. All right, so um, the Congress was in session, although most of them had gone home for Christmas vacation uh, when this appointment was made. Uh, and But nonetheless, uh, they had meetings every so often, and uh, senators, representatives would come if they could. Uh, they were had not adjourned. If they adjourned, according to the Constitution, then they are in recess. They did not adjourn. So, what happens? So, what Congress does... Uh, Basically, is they don't don't adjourn, and I should add the party's roles were reversed in 2000 2006, when a Republican president George Bush was in the White House. Republicans had a majority in both houses. So then, Senate majority Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid employed the same tactic of convening the Senate every few days to keep Bush from filling vacancies through recess appointments. Unlike Obama. Bush didn't press the issue because it was the law. So, essentially, what happens is, back to the recess appointments, the third, shortly thereafter, the third federal appeals court ruled uh, a couple of weeks ago that President Obama violated the Constitution last year when he made recess appointments to the National Labor Relations Board. And, of course, this is going to add more weight to the case as it goes to, and it is now, before the Supreme Court. So, it's there. Um, it, you know, sometimes you just go too far, and it's not politics anymore. It's the Constitution, and an appeals court has ruled against the president, has ruled against these appointments. Now, this board has made more than 100 union-friendly decisions during this 2013. Are all of those decisions going to be overturned? If this action by the president is overturned, are they all going to be invalidated? Because the whole thing was unconstitutional in the first place. It's a very real possibility. The case was heard um, by the Supreme Court nine days ago, on a Monday, and it was the first in history, first Supreme Court case in history on recess appointments. So, the Supreme Court has no precedence to go go by from previous courts. They do have the opinion of appeals courts on uh, related kinds of things. So, we're basically going to sit back and wait to see what the court does, and we'll probably know something in June. Uh, sometimes, if it's a very weighty matter, or if it has uh, preeminence, the court will go ahead and announce this decision in advance. But normally, uh, the court examines many cases and announces their decisions in June. Then they go into recess for about three months. 
And by the way, I also wanted to mention that when um, when, when President Bush and his Republican Congress, uh, and they did very little, if anything, because Democrats kept blocking everything they wanted to do. If they wanted to cut uh, entitlement spending, Democrats would block it. And Republicans, like Democrats today, could not get the 60 votes. So um, they basically didn't do much, of, accomplish much of anything uh, that conservatives would like to have seen. So talk uh, developed somewhere around 2003, 2004, of voting. It would only take a simple majority to eliminate the, the cloture rule and to make it easier or reduce it down to 55 votes. They could do that. Reed, and of course, the Democrats opposed that at the time, and uh, Republicans basically backed off, okay, um, out of respect that this is a long tradition and we need to keep it. So what did the Senate do very, very recently? They ended the cloture rule. It's called the nuclear option, which Republicans deigned not to do in 2004, uh, Democrats are now doing so that all of Obama's appointments can quickly be rubber stamped and you're going to just have an infusion of liberals into the court system and into the federal agencies. Another reason to get involved and go to the polls in November. So that's the Obama impeachment menu. Last week I mentioned Little Sisters case, Little, Little Sisters versus Sibelius. I said at the time there were roughly 85 lawsuits against the Affordable Care Act. Now there are 91 altogether. And the Little Sisters of the Poor are is that group, um, Catholic nuns that administer to the poor and the helpless. They were represented uh, by a group of lawyers called the Beckett Fund that uh, basically exists and is funded uh, to serve uh, religious organizations. And they apparently, uh, it occurred to me this morning, that I didn't know if they went through the appeals process, that is district court, appeals court, Supreme Court, or did they appeal, make their appeal directly to the Supreme Court. I think the latter because it happened so quickly. So, uh, they were granted an injunction by Sonia, uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. She granted an injunction, which is a, do you know what that is, an injunction? It's an order from the court to stop. If construction has begun and somebody is uh, uh, bringing up a legal question and the judge thinks it has merits, he will order a stop to the construction or whatever it is. So J Justice Sotomayor issued an injunction against implementation of that part of the Affordable Care Act that required insurance companies to provide, whether it was a religious organization or not, abortion, uh, contraception, uh, maternity benefits, and all those kinds of other things. Now, Sonia Sotomayor is a liberal. She was appointed by, in fact, she, she was Barack Obama's first appointment. She's of Hispanic descent, and, uh, of course, another female in the court is always a good thing to see. Uh, she is Catholic, however, and she may be liberal on social issues as the majority of Catholics are or seem to be. That doesn't mean she is liberal on the Constitution. 
on things like separation of powers. And we're talking about some huge, great American institutions, separation of powers, that this president doesn't seem to understand. And we can see this all over the Affordable Care Act. This thing is just full of stuff that is essentially unconstitutional, that takes away people's rights, people's liberty. So it appears that um, the Supreme Court is going to take up this case, and it has immediacy because the law is active. So we might get a decision right away. I'm hoping that we will. Uh, but then again, we might have to wait to June. We'll wait and see. Now, I want to make sure you understand um, how the federal judicial system works. There are basically three levels. Uh, you have the lower, the work courts, the trial courts, and usually in most cases start right there in what they're called the district courts. And by the way, uh, before we go any further, let's go to Article 3, uh, clause, Section 1 in the Constitution real quick, just so you'll know how this process works. Article 3. Section 1, the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts, inferior to the Supreme Court, as Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. So, when this was written, the words that we just read, there were 13 states, and I believe the population was about 6 million. Today, there are 50 states, and the population is up over 310 million. So as we grew, uh, new courts were created. And it was just usually a uh, matter of routine. As a new state comes in, uh, the appropriate number of district courts are allotted, and they are um, included in one of the appeals courts, and so on and so forth. So the whole system that we have today, which is rather larger than it was in 17. 89 um, is what, what we're looking at. So normally, if someone has a legal claim and they file a suit um, against somebody, against the federal government, uh, then it goes to the district court. Now, when this case is over with, if that person is um, unhappy with the district court's decision, they can appeal it to an appeals court. And there are 11 appeals courts in the regular circuit and a couple of more uh, specialty appeals courts. But there are 11 altogether, so you would you would file an appeal if you're unhappy with the district court to the appeals court, and if they agree to hear your case, um, then it's, it is tried again based on the same evidence. And if you don't get a favorable opinion then, you can appeal it to the United States Supreme Court. And I don't think that the Little Sisters did this. I think, think they bypassed that system. I'll let you know next week, or maybe... You can let me know next week, do some research. It occurred to me this morning I didn't know and I didn't have time to find it out. So the highest federal court in the United States is the Supreme Court, and um, this request from the Little Sisters um, basically is called a petition, a petition for a writ of certiary. Write that right there down. This is Latin, and the spelling is uh, really difficult. So a writ is a W-R-I-T of certiary. C-E-R-T-I-O 
R-A-R-I. Okay, look that up and uh, spend some time on it. I just had an amusing thought. What if I was sitting here sp- spelling rid of Cerchieri and nobody out there was writing it down? Wouldn't that be hilarious? So the writ of search area is basically a decision by the Supreme Court to hear an appeal from the lower court. Now, what happens is this. Every, every one of the nine justices on the court has at least one judicial uh, circuit or appeals court that they're responsible for. So when a, an appeal is made from the appeals court, so, uh, Sonia say, um, Sotomayor had the Tenth Circuit out in the Midwest, um, she took the appeal, and she could have turned it down. She could have said, no, it's, you don't have uh, standing. Uh, uh, this is uh, silly. Go away. But she didn't. She accepted it. She granted the writ of certiorari. She brought the case before the court and apparently um, had enough support from the other eight justices to accept it onto their docket. And so that's why it is, is being heard. So a writ of certiorari is a decision by the court to hear an appeal from a lower court, and that was issued by Justice Sotomayor. So it's kind of interesting. Um, okay. Woody, let me jump in here. I want to do a couple of things. One, we have quite a few questions. And uh, let's go ahead and, and take a commercial break and then come back and pick up on your thought and then go to questions. Would that Alrighty. be okay? That's All fine. Right, My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I want to introduce you to my publishing company, Media Angels. I have a heart for homeschool families, and since 1994, I have poured my efforts into creating curriculum to support teaching science, especially from a creationist worldview to the homeschool community. My curriculum was selected by Kathy Duffy and her 101 top homeschool picks. Another labor of love is a three-book novel series specifically for homeschoolers with a creation focus the Truth Seekers Mystery Series that I co-authored with my daughter, Christina. Media Angels represents uncompromising quality, not only with books, but with an online homeschool convention and this ultimate homeschool radio network with amazing show hosts. Along with books, Media Angels has produced an American history and an American government video series, as well as a family Bible study, Homeschooling with Proverbs. It has been my pleasure to mentor countless homeschool families and missionaries worldwide. I also enjoy mentoring aspiring authors with one-on-one coaching and the information in a nutshell series. If we haven't met, please reach out. I'd love to help you on your homeschooling journey or, if you have a book, help you getting that into print. I can be found on social media and look forward to meeting you. You can reach me at MediaAngels.com. Thanks so much and hope to meet you soon. Hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz and this is a episode of the current issues in the Constitution. We have been discussing quite a few things um, and before the break, uh, you uh, were just finishing a thought, Woody. Did you want to continue with that? or uh, Yeah, I, I, let me it? just wrap this up, and then we'll sure. get the questions. I just wanted to finish by saying that this Beckett Fund I mentioned uh, did file the lawsuit mm-hmm. on behalf of the Little Sisters of the Poor, but, um, and of course they're seeking to uphold their right to carry out their vows of obedience in the service of the poor, but this lawsuit is a class action lawsuit, and... 
you know, the little sisters are, are uh, the people that made it happen, but the suit is asking protection not only for the little sisters, but for every other religious organization, whether Catholic or Protestant, who provide health benefits consistent with the religious faith. So again, like the recess appointments thing, well, we have to wait until June. And also, do some research in the media, but let me tell you what happened. Affordable Care Act, a year ago, um, I read all the transcripts. I read everything that every justice said, every question that they asked. And I was satisfied that this Supreme Court was going to overturn the Affordable Care Act, and I was wrong. So I hear people doing that now. They're examining the justices' questions, and they're making their opinions about whether they're going to uh, rule for or against or so on. Um, I say, yes, study the issue, but relax. Uh, don't make any predictions. You might be embarrassed. There are five Catholics on the Supreme Court. I noticed it was two days ago the Pope made a statement against abortion. And um, religion has got to influence every decision that you make. So there is that. And mm -hmm. uh, we'll Very just good. have to wait and see. And then we can read their opinions and see how each justice voted, not just the five Catholics, but the other four as well. So keep your eye on this there are many of us who are Catholic and are very dismayed by the liberal bent of some. So, you know, unfortunately, if the Supreme Court justices lived out with what the Catholic Church truly teaches, then we wouldn't probably be having this discussion. You know, they would have. Yep. Uh, You're yeah, exactly right. They're going on their own steam. Okay, Woody, um, here's uh, several questions. Uh, one of them is, uh, what do you think about the Keystone Pipeline possibly running through Canada and Asia? You know, I know that was one of the things that um, the past election was riding on with Mitt Romney, saying that he would definitely allow Alaskan oil uh, to come through the U.S., which would definitely help the United States. And I know there's a lot of um, back and forth about preserving nature, um, but then uh, they, they went ahead and they're, they've got stuff in place. So... Um, that came from Michael. I guess that was in the in the news this afternoon. We were eating lunch. Yeah, there. Um, that, that's a very good question, and it's something that I've been uh, kind of upset about. I remember it was a couple of years ago. I was watching a video. Somebody with a, a, a smartphone uh, took a video of this uh, guy, some supervisor in the Department of Energy, and he was telling the people. He had them all gathered together, and he was telling them, "We're going to crush the petroleum industry." He said. So this is another government agency trying to carry out a liberal EPA agenda. And uh, that is uh, the biggest problem of all. But the um, uh, Keystone Pipeline, I don't, you know, a lot of people don't know and understand that there are already tens of thousands of petroleum pipelines running across America, north to south and east to west, many of them coming down from Canada. There are already Keystone Pipelines, if you want to call it that. This is just another one to supply more petroleum so that we can have lower gasoline prices, possibly reduce our dependence on Middle Eastern oil, which is increasingly in jeopardy and could ruin us economically. So, yes, I 
solidly support the Keystone Pipeline. There have been no environmental disasters of any kind regarding those pipelines, and nor will they be. And if we don't do it, then Canada, as Mike points out, is going to sell their oil because they want to make money. They're going to sell it to China. So, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. Uh, we Now, President Obama has not said that he will not approve the Keystone Pipeline. It's kind of on hold. It's on his in, it's in his inbox, he said. And it will stay there until he's no longer in office, if you ask me. Uh, so, Canadians, please cooperate with us. You're good friends to the south. Hold on to that petroleum. we got an election coming up in 2016. And uh, then perhaps we'll buy all the oil you've got. Yeah, it doesn't sound as far away as it did before, <laughs> like counting down. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, another question uh, deals with a federal judge on Tuesday ruled that Oklahoma's gay marriage ban violates the Constitution. And just quickly, it says here, she sent a link, and I'll just read it to you. Uh, the U.S. District Judge Terrence Kern struck down the ban but immediately stayed his ruling pending appeal. Uh, the wire service said the judge immediately stayed his ruling um, that voters in Oklahoma approved a constitutional amendment in 2004 that says marriage can only be between a man and a woman. And apparently um, this judge has, um, you know, struck it down. So the, she wanted to know, um, you know, that Kent, uh, Kern ruled that the measure violates the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution by, by preventing same-sex couples from getting a state marriage license. Okay. Um, that uh, This is a, always a very, very difficult case. And, of course, you know, if you look around out there in the uh, judicial circuits, you'll find a whole bunch of conservative judges and you'll find a whole bunch of liberal judges. So if you're the ACLU and you're wanting to make a case, in this case against a, a law that uh, bans a behavior that you're supporting, then you find the right judge and you get that case. I don't give much credence to opinions of, of district judges on matters like this. Um, I pay attention when an appeals court makes a decision, uh, like they did against Obama with his recess appointments. Uh, but a single judge, uh, no, that could uh, be just a political thing. May, I think it's interesting, though, that uh, he uh, um, seemed to oppose the ban, yet he stayed his judgment. Uh, so maybe this is a moderate. But So you get into two things here. You get into state sovereignty, and then you get into constitutional rights of the people. Now, same-sex marriage is not mentioned in the Constitution. Therefore, under the Tenth Amendment, let's go to that real quick in case you have forgotten. We've been there before. Under the Tenth Amendment, uh, the question of same-sex marriage is a state matter, and each state would have the power under the Constitution to decide what its laws regarding that or any other social behavior might be. Now, you're at the Tenth Amendment by now. The power is not delegated to the United States. That means the federal government, by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it, it meaning the Constitution, to the states. So power is not delegated to the United States government by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively. And if the states don't want to do anything about it, then the people have that right. So uh, this law, where did you say it was from? 
It's from um, Oklahoma. And, Oklahoma. And, uh, well, this was Oklahoma, and the, and the constitutional um, amendment was a, approved. Um, okay, by the people. By, by the voters, right. The voters right. in Oklahoma approved the constitutional amendment in 2007 that said now, marriage can be between a man and a woman. So they've already voted on this. Right. Okay, now, uh, and a, a whole lot of state laws, I don't know how many, have been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, beginning with McCulloch versus Maryland clear back in 1819 uh, was the first one. Uh, and in this case, I think we're going to have to go to Amendment 14. If you would turn to Amendment 14. And now let's read this. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, that clause was written to make sure that all of the freed slaves were did have citizenship status. And, of course, illegal immigrants use it today. They come into America and have their baby, and that baby is a citizen uh, to to basically establish a new domicile. Reading on, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Now, keep in mind that people of the same-sex persuasion are citizens of the United States, and they have the same privileges or immunities that you and I have. Now, nor shall any state, think Oklahoma, deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Now, that word liberty is used in Roe versus Wade. Do people of same-sex persuasion have the right, do they have the liberty to for marriage, let's say? And finally, nor shall any state deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. Now, if the law says that people can get married, equal protection would mean all Americans can get married, whether they're heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, equal protection of the law. So what you have here is a conflict between Amendment 10's state sovereignty and Amendment 14's equal protection of the law and liberty guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. So it appears that the conflict stems from the Constitution itself. So this one, and this is it's like the Little Sisters of the Poor or the uh, uh, Obama recess thing. These matters mm -hmm. have constitutional implications, and the Supreme Court is always quick or more amenable to issuing the writ of certiorari if there is a constitutional issue. And this one certainly has constitutional implications. So I have no doubt that in who knows how long it will take. Uh, it might take a year and a half to get through the appeals process. But somewhere down the line, this case from Oklahoma could very well, and I would expect it to, end up in the Supreme Court. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Whoever asked the question, I'm going to look up that case. I had not seen that in the news channels I've been using. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Okay, uh, another question. Um, what do you think about Obama's recent comments about having a pen 
and the ability to write executive orders if Congress doesn't do what he wants. Yeah, that's that's a whole part of this uh, this behavior, this and this total disrespect for age-old tradition of separation of powers. Executive orders are important, and all presidents, including George Washington, use them. But they use them to grease the wheels, uh, to make things happen. Uh, a law is passed, and the executive branch is um, applying it, and they find out that there's a problem. Uh, it might not be a major problem, but it's uh, something that could hurt the execution of the law. So rather than go back to the legislative mill, the president would issue an executive order uh, to make that happen. Uh, sometimes uh, in a case like uh, back in the 1950s when the Deep South was just, the southern states were just really persecuting people of color. And um, President Truman issued an executive order because he couldn't get it through Congress because those states were any action in Congress towards civil rights. So he issued an executive order as commander-in-chief of the armed forces of the United States that segregation of soldiers by race would stop. So that's a huge executive order, but it's in the public good. It's in the public interest, and it had widespread public support. So those kinds of things, you know, executive order like that is always questionable, and there will always be opposition. Um, but I, I think that you know, Truman was a Democrat, and, and an awful lot of Republicans supported that decision. We all hate racism. We hated it then. We hate it now. And so no problem with a decision like that. But a lot of, and I don't think we have really have time to get into it. In fact, we're past time. But maybe next right. week we'll get into, take a look at some of the specific executive orders this president has made. And I think that you will see that they are largely in the interest of promoting a liberal agenda. And that's not what right. executive orders are for. That's not what presidents are supposed to be for. So let's yeah. take a look at that and, next week. And also um, maybe we can discuss a little bit about the book that came out by Robert Gates um, that really mm -hmm. um, has not been favorable for Obama, you know, with okay. his uh, a lot of the things that he was talking about in his book. So um, he's gotten a lot of uh, – he's been on a circuit lately promoting his book, and and that's interesting that these – you know, these guys are not waiting very long, are they, Woody, to to go to print, it seems. No, I mean, it's, it's timely right now. Um, I don't know why Robert Gates wrote the book, but if it had anything to do with making money, this was the time to put it out before the 2014 yeah. election. Right. So – I, I hope he was motivated also by conscience. Yes, that's what I would hope too. Thank you very much, and uh, we will see you next week. Our new time for those of you listening will be 1.30 um, instead of our normal 1 o'clock for the live session. And if you're listening in the archives, no worries. Uh, we will be available uh, soon after the broadcast. Thank you so much, Woody. Bye-bye. Thank you, Felice. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.